On this episode, I have guest Tom Halleck of Loan People. We discuss all things mortgages and interest rates, how things are shaping up for 2023, and if you should try to time the market when you're getting ready to buy or sell a home. I hope you enjoy the episode and would love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast. This is Real Estate Insights with Troy Schlicker. Today, we've got Tom Halleck with Loan People here to discuss real estate, mortgages, all things that you could ever want to talk to. I realize for some people, maybe not everything you want to talk to, but when you're in mortgage and when you've been in real estate, it's everything you want to talk about. How's it going today? Great. Thanks for having me on, Troy. And yeah, everybody's dream, right? To talk I know. About I don't it. understand how yeah. this is going to be the biggest podcast in the world because who does not want to talk about real estate and that's what I, or who doesn't want to listen to it? Obviously we get to talk about it. Maybe some point in time I'll have like random guests that can come on and we'll be like live and you can do that and have random people come on. But yeah, right now, who doesn't want to listen? If nothing else, if nothing else, this is the perfect podcast to put on right before you go to sleep because you will fall asleep <laughs> very soundly. Gently into the night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're, you've been a loan officer. You're currently a loan officer at Loan People. Obviously, you and I know each other because we were both rock star loan officers at Bank of America back in the day. How did you get into the business? Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that before we started is that you and I were cutting our teeth in the wake of the mortgage meltdown and really just gleaning knowledge from that. But yeah, I started just before that. I was actually in title insurance, jumped over to lending when the mortgage meltdown was happening. Great timing, I know. And then I've been in it ever since. I went from a big bank to a regional bank and now I work at Loan People, which is a correspondent lender, which just means we have multiple different outlets for where we get our the money that we're lending, which is great just to have some diversification there. Something that we always dreamed of while we were at Bank of America is like having of options. Of course, oh my gosh, any amount of, yeah, any amount of that would have been nice. But you've been in a couple different things in the industry as well. Yeah, I was, I was at Bank of America prior to being in the mortgage side of things, which I also jumped in right about the time that everything, all the shit was hitting the fan. And I was in the banking side for a while, for whatever reason, decided to go to mortgage when everything crashed. Because, yeah, why wouldn't you get into it at the worst first, at the worst time absolutely possible? And, Run towards the fire. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, did, it was there for a number of years. And then I know when you guys, you and a few others had made the move to another mortgage company, I was still there for a little bit longer and decided that I wanted to get out of the mortgage side of things. And so went into the real estate side. And so now I've had my real estate license and then now my broker's license for, it's been just over eight years. It's hard to believe that it's been that long, but yeah, it's been a interesting ride. That's for sure. Yeah, time flies. And I feel like it's so weird. Eight years feels like the longest time. And then also it's, so much. It is a very ju yeah, juxtaposed of, wow, it's been so long ago that we've done it. And it's also flown by. So it's 100%. Yeah. Time can be an interesting conundrum from time to time. So to start the year, obviously, everyone's probably biggest question when it comes to real estate these days is what on earth is up with mortgage rates and what is going to happen with mortgage rates down the road? Yeah. What is your, as someone who I'm sure has direct ties into the Fed Reserve and the stock market, what's your, what do you do? What levers are you pulling to make changes here in the market? <laughs> yeah. I just pick up the bat phone, get Jerome on the phone. No, it's, it is definitely the topic that not only, I mean, it matters to a lot of people because affordability can be an issue as rates are higher, things like that. Luckily, most of the experts that I listen to say that rates peaked probably in October 2022, hopefully, knock on wood, and that as inflation numbers start to decrease a little bit, rates will start to trend down with that. One of the measures um, that we look at is the 10-year bond that kind of tracks rates are generally about 2.2% higher than that, generally. And over the last few months, they've been 
more than 2% higher than that because investors were so worried about where is inflation going, what's happening in the greater economy. And so that spread should come down a little bit more to normal as we hopefully move past this inflation spike that has happened over the last year. And luckily, the fundamental numbers behind it. So like Barry Habib is a big guy in the mortgage world. He talked at length about how these measures that we look at are like a roller coaster. And the first car is already over the hump while the last car is not quite there yet. And like we measure looking at the last car, whereas the economy is already moving forward past that hump. That's, it seems optimistic right now. Obviously things happen and things change. And, but as long as those inflation numbers start to go down, that's the biggest driver, right? now. The problem is the numbers like inflation stuff are always looking at what happened and say mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff happens. And then from there, the decisions get made. And so I would agree hundred percent on the interest rates because these big institutional investors who are the ones that buy most of these mortgage backed securities, because they felt like rates were going to continue to rise, they didn't want to get caught lending money at a little bit lower rate. So that's why that spread was higher than it normally is. But now that they feel like rates have gotten to a bit of a high water level. I think that the they'll let that spread come back down closer to that two percent you're talking about, which will which does help mortgage rates, which is again more is is the kind of the key indicator that's generally tied to where rates are at. For me as a realtor, and probably I'm sure for you as a loan officer as well too, because we get paid when people do activity in the market. It's one of those where you just want rates to get to where they need to go. I've said this before. I'd be I don't want rates to go to 9%, but honestly, I'd rather they just get to 9% or 7% or 6%, hopefully five and a half to six and a half percent and just get there and stay there. So we just get that water level and people can adjust to wherever that new level is and then figure out if and when they can afford a house, if it makes sense to do it. Obviously the higher interest rates are going to take a lot of investors probably out of the market because it doesn't make near as much financial sense to buy a home when you have to, would have to rent it out for a lot more because that payment's so much higher. No, exactly right. Yeah, it makes the metrics for a lot of those investors not make as much sense as the years before that. But you made a good point, which is a lot of our jobs is just setting expectations. And when there's market volatility, it's hard to set expectations. Yeah. <laughs> and so if buyers are worried or scared or sellers are worried or scared, then it's it just makes it a tougher conversation, especially if we're not in a hundred, well, we'll never be a hundred percent sure, but yeah. at least you just want stability. Certain. You just want that stability so that people can. And, and, yeah. Stability or predictability. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So as at least predictability starts to come into it, where the most recent inflation numbers came out and they hit the target that everybody thought they were going to hit. Yeah. That's great <laughs> because if they come in way lower then people start asking other questions about yeah. recessions and things like that, yeah. they come in way higher then we're back to inflation. So yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, like you can have things go too far either direction and have it be concerning to people for sure. And that's, so we talk about inflation being the metric right now, a few years ago, it was jobs. Whenever the jobs numbers would come out, that was the big thing because it was, are we going to be in a longer term recession? So it's not always the same metric that's going to matter. In fact, the inflation numbers didn't matter for a, a long time. Like the CPI report, <laughs> which is the consumer price index, it would come out. I wouldn't even, it would barely be an announcement. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and now it's like everybody's day, week, and month hinges on it. So yeah, it's interesting to see what metrics kind of drive longer term debt like mortgages. <laughs> Are you, so for me, I've always noticed, especially on the real estate side of things that the start of the year tends to bring an influx of at least interest in the real estate market. I've always attributed it to the fact that the new year kind of new goals, new resolutions, new planning. And so then a lot of people will 
at least take under consideration is now the right, is this year, not necessarily right now, but is this year the right time to buy or sell a home? And so there's always has been in the eight years that I've been in the business, been a peak of at least interest of people reaching out, of people asking questions to see what's going on. It's not necessarily again, spring and summer are definitely the peak times for people to actually do buy, buying and selling. But between coming out of the slower time of the holidays and with that kind of new year, new mentality of what's happening, there's usually a peak in that interest. I've definitely have seen that to a degree this year. Are you seeing something similar at all, or do you have a little bit different ebbs and flows that you've seen over the last couple of years at all? No, you hit the nail on the head. And it's true every year, but I would say that this year in particular, like December was, I like, I thought my phone was broken. <laughs> like it was, there was just nothing going on. And I think a lot of people were just, it was a weird, crazy year. The market shifted so dynamically, so quickly. And they were just kind of saying like, all right, let's get into January. Let's set our goals for the year. Like exactly like you said, and that those numbers are definitely up. Like we're seeing that application wise and it's like a, an iceberg applications are the under part where there's a lot of applications and then you start to peak and then you start to see transactions closing. You start to see people going under contract. So we're definitely in the still underwater, but it's sure. about to get to the point where people are going to start making more offers. And I think we've talked about this before, just you and I, but there's winners and losers in every market. And so if you can look at slightly higher rates right now and say, I'm going to have less competition, I'm going to feel better about getting into it at a price I want, then you can look at rates as a consideration longer term as rates come down as well. So it's, you kind of, you get to choose what side of the market you're focusing on, because if rates go down at below five into the fours, something like that, that's going to get a lot of people off the fence. But that also means that that's going to be a lot more people offering on the same property that you are in love with. It is like a good sweet spot right now, I think. Again, it's it, always impossible to make predictions, definitive statements by any stretch. Right. And I've also always noticed that you have a chunk of those people who show interest at the beginning of the year who not don't follow through the same way that they do with every resolution. I mean, the same way I do with a lot of resolutions too, right? It doesn't <laughs> necessarily, just because there's interest early in the year doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to. But the fact that the fact that there is still there what was still that peak shows signs that the real estate market is i think in relatively still good shape because unfortunately you do hear a lot of times that you know or you hear i think a lot of times it's maybe a little bit more people's opinions i don't feel like i've seen a lot of data that would suggest this which is why i don't believe it but you hear people's opinions about oh how the market's going to crash it's going to come down have another housing crash like we did in 06 through 08 and for a lot of different reasons i don't see that being the case and i do think that people being again that renewed interest in in, in mortgage loan applications in just the real estate market in general is one of those um less concrete signs that's the case but I don't know for you, there's a handful of concrete ones that I have too, but I'll kind of let you talk, get your thoughts on that. No, yeah. To add to what you're saying, I think there is data to support that. It just gets a little bit more nitty gritty of what you're looking at. And a lot of, a big difference between when the market turns in the age that we are in now versus when the market turned in 2008 is that the lending has been totally different. Most people have a lot more equity. <laughs> Most people are in programs that they could at least reasonably afford. And that really does put the entire foundation in a better position, a more stable position so that, yeah, the market may, there's always ebbs and flows to a market. There's ups and downs here and there, but it's not going to be one of those things or not as much, knock on wood, if that ever does happen, it's not going to be one of those big crashes, or at least it would take a lot more factors to make it a bigger crash. I'm assuming over the last couple of years, all of the loans that you did 
required to actually go to underwriting and require documents, which, which <laughs> wasn't happening in 06 through 08. That's <laughs> relatively significant difference between the two in that case. Oh yeah. We're requiring you have to actually have just uh, that have documents. minuscule difference and, of proving that you can actually afford what we're, yeah, what you're taking out. <laughs> but that and the other component to me is, and I don't know the statistics on the num percentage say of homes that were bought in the last two years, but if you bought at the very beginning part of 2021, or if you bought any time before then, you had you now have so much equity in your home that even if home prices did drop 10%, I don't think it's going to happen. But if they did, almost everyone in the country is going to still be have equity in their home because either they bought early and before this spike, so that so a 10% drop after your home went up 30, 40% is still up, or if you bought in the last two years, for the most part, other than maybe the end of last year, you had to put down a minimum of 20%, if not 50% or all cash to win all these multiple offer deals. And yes, I'm sure some people refinance some of the cash back out, but if you put down 50% cash on a property, well, great. If the property drops 10%, yes, you might have, you might, it might be worth less now than when you bought it, but you still have so much equity in the property that you're not just going to let it go to foreclosure, which is what actually had the spiral of the housing market crash. Like most people are not, even if they lost their job, even if home prices dropped 5%, like you're not going to see that continue downward spiral, in my opinion, to the, at least to the same degree, because you're not going to have this wave of foreclosures hit the market because people would just be like, shoot, I can't make my mortgage payment. I better actually just list my house for normal and, and sell it that way. And yeah, I've got to sell it for less, but it's still worth keeping that equity as right. much as yeah. I can. No, great point. Distress sales will exist in the market. But the sheer volume of them <laughs> previously was something that we're just most likely, it's not going to happen. If there are people waiting on the sidelines thinking they're going to get a steal because there's going to be a wave of defaults, there's also companies and individuals, but a lot of companies that are on the sidelines with a ton of cash waiting to do that too. And so when, the, when those things come onto the market, you're going to be competing again. A lot of it that I'm talking with people about right now is competition. There's way more inventory in the market. It's still, if you look at the total metrics and by historical standards, it's still not a lot. It's just compared to the last two years, you're like, oh my gosh, there's homes everywhere. And it's like, no, the last <laughs> years jaded your idea of what the market should look like. As far as a normal market looks like, it's still relatively limited inventory. Yeah, no, exactly right. Where it's, if you're used to dealing in weeks of inventory, then months of inventory is terrifying when really six months is equilibrium, considered equilibrium. So yeah, it's it's all about perspective. And that's what, like, especially with rates, how quickly they went up. A lot of what I talked about with people through the end of 2022 is just perspective. Yes, rates are higher than those absolute lows. <laughs> but historically, like these are things that we will probably, like this may be a range that we see normally. And this may be rates jump up to where they have been. They go back to where they were in October, 2022. And that'll be the high side of them. And then they'll come back down and there's always that ebb and flow. And so it's just like I mentioned earlier, and like we've talked about before, how do you position yourself to be a winner in that market? Sure. And then longer term, you can always reestablish your position with a refinance or looking to sell or hold longer, whatever it is. No, one of the things you brought up just a second ago, I read an article just the other day about apparently, so Blackstone is probably the most well-known large single family home buyer in the country. And them and some other different Wall Street companies supposedly have about $110 billion of cash reserves ready to buy single family homes, which it, again, that's a huge number, but it still only would buy 400,000 homes, which is not 
that many in the whole country kind of thing. There's probably some specific markets because they'll get market specific. And so in those markets, it'll, you'll really, it'll really be felt. But like, it's again, it's a, but it's another point to prices aren't going to get too drug down if, because these companies aren't going to necessarily wait for the bottom. They're not going to know when the bottom hits. They just know that if we can buy it at a good price, let's buy it and let's make money off it. And so that's another factor that will prices at a relatively from dropping too significantly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you referenced this a moment ago, which is a really good point is if you gained a ton of equity, you bought prior to 2020, you gained a bunch of equity. You're not willing to just let that equity go. Like it becomes something that you count on as an asset. So people are more willing to wait things out to uh, on the same sure. token. So yeah, in 06, a lot of people let a home go to foreclosure, not because they couldn't make the payment, but because they were underwater, they were like, why would I make the payment? Where exactly. when you have a hundred or $200,000 of equity in a home, you're like, I'll keep making this payment. This is a good, this is in my financial best interest to make this payment. This matters a little bit more to yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, so do you, in your business, do you deal with many investors at all? Or is it more single family or families that are buying and selling that way? Yeah. And I deal with both and the investors, there are, it's very interesting. There are some investors who were really good at shifting their focus from how much am I going to cash flow on this to can I get a good deal on the purchase price right now? Because through 2020, 2021, you couldn't, basically the list price didn't mean much because a lot of the houses you're going way over. And is it, are you going 10 over? Or are you going a hundred thousand over? And so they weren't focusing on the price as much. Whereas now they're looking at price and they say, all right, I'm probably going to break even on cash flow, or maybe I'll even lose some on the cash flow. But when, if, and when rates come down, I'll refinance to something lower. I'll still be in a great position, maybe just turn that cash flow into positive and know that I got a great top line sure. deal on a property. So yeah, it, I'm noticing that with investors is that the conversations have changed a little bit, but no, there's, they're still as active, maybe not as active. There's a lot of, especially in Texas, there was a lot of outside interest yeah. and that's waned, I would say, but it has not disappeared, but it, like it, if, you're, you but investor if you're an investor property, like that from not, if you're not a local investor, then you're then you aren't just looking at Austin as a market. So like I was looking at exactly. from a short-term rental perspective, I had to put out a video recently about the kind of top places that this one short-term rental place talks about. And they were all much smaller places where people could get away from the city, but they could still do like outdoor types of activities. And so if you're an investor, your money can go to a lot of different states. Like maybe Nashville is the place to be, maybe Charlotte's the place to be. That In that case, if things are softening, Austin's always, in my opinion, been in a tough market a tougher market from a true investor standpoint because property taxes are so high. And so that cuts into so much of the profitability that if you can find a property that is going to get you roughly that same ROI, if you can in another state, but that state has a, you know, 0.5% property tax rate instead of 2.5%, like that's a right. whole 2% additional, that's, yeah, additional you can make huge. in that cap rate. That's a significant amount. And that, and property taxes don't go away. And yeah, I've definitely, I've noticed that as well is Austin was the investor, like investors were interested here for appreciation, but not necessarily cash flow. Whereas, like you said, Tennessee is a big one that we lend in that's a cash flow market. Arkansas is a big one that's a cash flow market. So there's definitely those sweet spots. And the, like I said, the conversations with investors change pretty, a little more dynamically than with somebody who's going to occupy it as their primary residence, because generally people who are occupying it as their primary residence it like they need to be in a certain area, they need to be in a certain school district. And so there's not that flexibility to change those conversations necessarily. But then it's just about focusing on where the benefits are. 
Yeah. yeah, every the old, the oldest axiom in real estate is location, and that's again a huge thing still today. Hey, am I in a location that I want either because it's again if you're not an investor, is it a location that I want to raise my family in? Do I love the schools? Do I love the activities that are around there? Am I close to downtown or close to the domain or close to the lake? If you're here in Austin and stuff. And yeah, um, it's trite because it's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? They, they a lot of times cliches stand the test of time because they have a lot of truth to them. Very true. Yeah. The other interesting thing that I'll get in the conversations because about the market crashing is like trying to time the market, which I would never recommend anybody trying to really time anything because like you're not likely to be, most people aren't when they try to time real estate markets or stock markets or anything like that at all. And like you were talking about now, hey, do you, is if you're, if it's the right time for you to look at buying a home, should you do it now? Like you do have the advantage of not having as many people in the market and being able to potentially get more from the seller than you would have either from concessions on the price or help getting a little bit lower interest rate. I do still wonder a little bit though, if sellers, like sellers know the market's not quite the same, but it takes a home, a homeowner, usually a little bit more of a slap in the face, a bucket of cold water to really realize how much it's potentially changed sometimes. Right. Cause one, it's your largest asset. So you're thinking, shoot, I'm about to sell the something that's half of my net worth, if not more in a lot of cases. And yeah. two, there's also a lot of emotional attachment because if it's a place you've been living in, you may have raised a family there, all these other types of things. And so to not think that because of all those memories, it should get top dollar. That's just a natural kind of human emotion. So I do wonder if we will see sellers understand where the market's at a little bit more this year, because I do think that's been a little bit of a pass with buyers and sellers as well. The last couple of months is like, hey, the market has shifted a little bit. You can't expect to get top or to get what you got two or three months ago, the market's not quite the same. And so that'll be an interesting dynamic going forward as well. Yeah. And you, I mean, more directly with sellers. So a lot of the stuff that I say is just anecdotal secondhand that I hear from other realtors. From people that are looking or people looking to do both the buy and sell simultaneously. It, no, exactly. And there was this moment in 2022 where all of a sudden it went from you put your property on and it sells that weekend to, oh, it takes a couple of weeks. Oh, it takes a month. Oh, it takes a couple months. And I think like you mentioned, when it's your biggest asset and that rug's kind of getting slowly pulled out from under you, it's not a great feeling, <laughs> but there are, <laughs> there are some lending tools that it, like I used to think temporary rate buy downs were gimmicky, but in that type of environment, that is exactly what they are designed for, which is a seller who's staring down a 25 or a $50,000 price cut can instead say, Hey, how would I temporarily buy this buyer's interest rate down, help their cash flow by a couple hundred dollars. And it's only costing me eight to ten or eleven thousand dollars. From a realtor's perspective, you're helping that that seller get more money. And from a buyer's perspective, you're getting them into a home that they can actually afford right now, as opposed to let me rent for another year or let me rent for another two years and see where it is then. And is like a one another one of those things. But sure, rates may be a little high, but rent is a hundred percent interest. Yeah. And again, as so as people in the profession, right? We get paid when people buy and sell homes. But just because that's the case, that like, doesn't mean like you're trying to push an agenda. If you want to rent your entire life, great, rent your entire life. But for most Americans, a huge percentage of their net worth will be tied to owning a home. And so there are definitely some people who, in one, there's some people that can't afford to, so that's just how it is. But there's also some people who really, if you're, if you are truly maximizing every last dollar that you save by not buying a home and renting, yeah, sure, great. If you can really day trade your way to more money, okay, do that. But for most people, like having that, hey, I'm going to need a place to live anyway, 
it can be the right way to do right way to go about it is hey let me own a place because my mortgage is only slightly more expensive because of HOA fees than it was 10 years ago but rents have increased quite a bit in the last 10 years and I'm pretty happy <laughs> yeah. I cannot I could not uh, I could not rent a place for the amount that I'm paying as a, on a as, for this as a mortgage and that's something that you don't get the control over when you're a renter for sure no totally that's a great point and that like Shorter term renting can make sense in a ton of situations just because transactional costs that exist for buying and selling multiple times can add up, but the longer term play, and there's some stat, I'm going to mess it up, but it's hundred percent of all wealthy people have gained at least some of their wealth sure. through real estate ownership. So, so. <laughs> they're, so they're like, uh, and I'll probably, again, one of those we probably should prepare with stats. I don't really know, but like, yeah, throwing out random stats, but yeah, if you look at the, if you just go and Google, like stats for net worth of people who are homeowners and who are not like it's literally goes from twenty thousand dollars net worth to three hundred thousand dollar net worth or something oh totally right it's it's, yeah. it's a significant difference so again definitely definitely it's definitely a personal decision for each individual but you also can overthink it as well too another thing that's interesting right now too is right like people if you're having to buy or sell buy and sell you're never going to be in a market where it's optimal to do both oh, it's the best time that I can sell my home and also the best time to go buy a home, right? There were a lot of people that for the last couple of years, I know didn't sell their home because they're like, shoot, I don't want to have to try to buy a home in this market. And so now it might be right now might be the time like where it's a little bit of a sweet spot where, okay, if I put my home up, I can at least, yeah, I can't get as much as I could in May of 2022, but I can still get a lot more than I could have in May of 2020. And I can now actually have some flexibility when looking at homes and having some negotiation power on that side of things too. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at it, it's the, another old accent we've, we're kind of- I know, I feel like we should be, I know we're, we talked about being in the business for almost a decade now for each of us. Okay, maybe we are old, but I feel like we should be a lot old. If someone just listens to this podcast instead of potentially watching the video of it, I think they're going to feel like we're way older than we actually are. Because we just keep bringing out like cliche sayings and ho hum Like all these cliches and yeah. back in the day. Back in, the we day. Were back in my day, yeah. I don't even yeah, remember so what Did you that. forget that? Yeah, good. Uh, we don't have to worry about that. I'm going to say, that. That's Get, getting old. There you go. There's there another part of it. That you're um, old. Exactly. So I'm trying to think of different stories that might make stuff interesting so that if someone has not still fallen asleep, that it actually made it worth it to them to reach the end of the podcast here. What do you have any say potentially crazy stories about something that's happened in the mortgage process or the underwriting process or something like that? That obviously you have to change the names for to protect the innocent kind of situation. But some any interesting stories from the mortgage world that you could share? This, this is a great question, and probably it's one of the top like three reasons that people end up getting declined for a mortgage loan. Is and this I feel like it'll start happening more and more as if we go into a little bit of a recession where companies are downsizing, companies are looking at creative ways to decrease their staff without necessarily losing expertise that goes along with that is if if an employer asks somebody to go from a, their w2 salary job to a 1099 position like a contract position a lot of times what employers do is say hey we can keep paying you sixty thousand dollars or you can go contract and we can pay you 90. and people look at that and go oh, i'm gonna be making more money that's a raise right but the way in mortgage qualifying, going to a 1099 or a contract employee, that's considered self-employment because you can deduct expenses. There are things that you might've had paid for by the, your salary job that you're not gonna have paid for anymore. And those are gonna come out of your top line income. 
And so generally lenders need at least one year of tax return showing that most of the time, two years of tax return showing that. So somebody can get a, a raise and end up acing themselves out of qualifying for a mortgage if they do that while they're looking or during the transaction. So yeah. that, yeah. No, it's, it, it brings me two things. One, right? Like it's, if you're someone who's thinking that in the next, you know, whether it's the next three days, which is when most people start to reach out to realtors or loan officers or more, what they should do is in the next three years, you think it might be something that you're interested in doing. Like building those relationships are important because then before, not that switching to it to being a 1099 contractor and making a 90,000 might not still be the right situation, but you then know someone that you can trust and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, but I know I was also thinking about buying a home this spring. How's that gonna work out? And like you can say, you can take the job, but you won't be able to buy the home. That's something that you can, and then that person can make the educated decision. Well, shoot, let's buy the home now and then go to 1099 in the, when I can do that. But but without without building those relationships, then it's a lot of times it's a question that someone doesn't even think, um, wouldn't even necessarily think to ask, but by having experts that you can just talk to about stuff, it can make a big difference. Like we were talking before we actually started recording about a client of mine who will talk about a property that they rent out and should they sell it. And we talk probably every six months just about their situation to help them make the right decision for them. And it hasn't resulted in them needing or wanting to sell, but it's, I love having those calls with them because I know that we're helping them make the right decision for them. So it's valuable to build that network of people in different areas of expertise across a wide variety of uh, disciplines for sure. And that's, that's something that I've noticed about you and your business over the years is that like approachability is so helpful because those people know they can reach out to you and they may not sell a property or buy a property this year, no. but they know they can talk to you about it. And they know that they can get a pulse on what's going on, not only in the bigger nationwide market, but in their specific market and know, okay, for us right now, this may not make sense, even though the headlines say <laughs> it does make sense. Right, sell yeah. immediately. Or yeah, exactly. Saying, right. Actually, yeah, yeah. Headlines have a uh, fear of the worst type of situation. It's like, well, but if you really look at it, you're still making a bunch of money on the property. So why would you sell? Not that you couldn't sell it. Why not keep making that rent monthly income? And that's something. So Bear Hubby, I've mentioned him before, but he's like a big name in the mortgage lending world. He, on his most recent presentation, just presented all these headlines from 2015 about how it doesn't make as much sense to buy a home. It's not going to, you don't get as much equity as you think. And then 2016, same thing, 2017, same thing. And he basically was just adding up what people, what equity people would have gained each year if they would have bought then. It's one of those things. Yeah. The headlines. Rarely it, it, again, it go, right. It goes back to timing the market, right? Like I, I deal occasionally with investors, but more so I enjoy helping families. And so if you're if you're an investor, you do have to be a little bit more market sensitive of where's the market going and does this make true ROI numbers sense in the next 12 months per se. But if you're a family, not that you want not that you want to buy at a time and then have your home price go down at all, let alone five or ten percent. But if you're really buying for the next 10, 10 years or so, great. If it goes down a little bit now, you're almost assuredly in 10 years going to be up in value because there is not even with as bad as housing crash was, there has not been a 10 year window that you can go to that I believe where home prices haven't appreciated. Exactly. So I was going to add that to what, to what you're saying is that even if you look at the biggest crash we've ever had in the mortgage market, those homes had recovered their value in just a few mm -hmm. years, just a handful of years. It is, it's a longer term decision, but it's one of those things that 
here. Oh, here's the, what I was going to say. <laughs> the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The best time or the second best time is today. Like you just said, it, yeah. if you have some skin in the game over the longer arc, you will win on some side of it. But if you don't, then you're at the whim of whatever's going to happen next. So very true. Seems like some sage advice to, to end this episode on. So appreciate you jumping on and, and doing this one and look forward to many more. Yeah. Thanks, Troy. Appreciate it.